So we have been looking at the Apostles' Creed all this summer, this statement of faith. It's found in your bulletin there if you're not familiar with it, this idea that these things that we confess that we believe. And it's not simply statements that we hold up in our head, but statements that make a difference in the way we live our life. So as we think about what it is we believe, we say, well, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then that makes a difference that we understand God to be the one who made all things. And the creed also acts as a way to help us read our Bible correctly. So that if we're reading our Bible and we begin to think that maybe Jesus didn't really die, we're reminding the creed where it says that he was crucified, dead, and buried. And so it helps and it guides us in many different ways. And so today we come to the section that begins that I believe in the Holy Spirit. And at that point, we'd like to hear a little bit more. As we heard about God the Father, we heard about his maker of heaven and earth. And then in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, he talks all about Jesus. And then we come and we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And that's it. And then it moves on and talks about the, the church and the community of saints, forgiveness of sins, which we'll talk about in the next few weeks. But you think, well, that's it? I just believe in the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit, there's a lot we could say about it. In fact, we've done several sermon series over the years. I did a whole summer back in 2016. A couple of years ago, we did one on spiritual warfare. Last year in the spring, we did one on the, Old the Spirit in the Old Testament. So there's a lot we could talk about. So the question is, what do we say today? And some of the confusion is that the Holy Spirit can still seem kind of distant, maybe a little bit hard to get our mind around we think of God the Father, we got a good grasp of that. Jesus Christ the Son. And then we come to the Holy Spirit. And I know one scholar talked about a student of his who came to him and said, yeah, I get God the Father and I get Jesus Christ the Son, but the Spirit just seems kind of like a gray oblong blur. This kind of uncertainty about who is the Holy Spirit. And so we can't talk about all of it today, but I want to highlight just a couple of things that we can say about the Spirit. One is, as we notice, as we look at the creed, we read and it says, I believe in God the Father, and then it says, in Jesus Christ, and then in the Holy Spirit. And it's set in these three parts as a remind us that we worship a God who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each one is fully God and fully equal. Again, that's a whole separate sermon, but this idea that God is this way. And so, in example, in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the land. Didn't it belong to you? And then it says, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And so there's this equivalence where one moment he says you're lying to the Holy Spirit, the next moment you're lying to God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is also not simply just a force. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, as we talk about it, even our language for the Holy Spirit, we say the Holy Spirit. There's this article that goes along with it, and even the descriptions of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Wind, fire, oil, water, breath, all these kind of evoke something that's not personal, but more of an object. But we need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is a personal being. And even then, our, our language, our philosophy starts to wrap up. So what do we mean he's a person? In other words, the Spirit can relate to you. That's the best way when we think of, when we say the words, we believe one God, three persons. Well, God isn't a person like us, but he can relate to us, a you and an I. And so 
In Romans 8, 26, it says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our minds knows the mind of the Spirit because the inner Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. And so there's this sense where the Spirit interacts with God the Father and God the Son as a person and interacts in a personal way. So it's important if we take nothing else, we think about that God is personal and the Spirit is personal. And so when we say we believe in the Spirit, we're confessing that the living God, the Spirit is with us. And as Ken was reading to the kids, one of the reminders was the Spirit is with us. We say, well, God is with us all the time. Well, how is God with us? God is with us through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't just a power or a force, but he's a personal God who is with us at all times. So Gordon Fee, one of the leading scholars on the Holy Spirit says this, he says, in our reception of the Spirit, we are in intimate terms with none other than God himself, personally and powerfully present. And so we need to remind ourselves of that. Nothing else. When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we're reminding ourselves that God is personal and that the is God in person with us. God isn't just distant, far away somewhere, but instead the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us is God himself personal. We can interact. We can talk to the Spirit. We can hear from the Spirit. But I want us to think about something else this morning a little more is what does the Spirit coming and the Spirit say about us and to us? And so we're going to focus on this passage from Acts chapter 2 that Jan read a little bit earlier. And so the setting is the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish festival of harvest where they would bring in and they would celebrate the first fruits. And so in the story leading up to this, we've had Jesus, he was crucified, and then he was resurrected. And after his resurrection, he tells his disciples, his followers, to go to Jerusalem and to wait. And to wait because they're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. Now I want to, you to try and put yourselves in their shoes. And Jesus is speaking to you and say, okay, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you and he's going to give you power. What sort of things come to your mind when you think of like having power from the Holy Spirit? Maybe you think back to the Old Testament and you think of like, the, the judges and some of these people, and they overcome with the power of the Spirit and they're able to defeat armies and all kinds of amazing things like that. And you're thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be great. I mean, I get some Holy Spirit power. I mean, that just sounds good, doesn't it? It's like, God's sending me some power. It's like, yeah, I could use some power. I could use some power sometimes getting out of bed in the morning. But here, God is, Jesus is telling his followers, the Holy Spirit is going to come and you're going to have power. And they've been following Jesus around. What have they seen him doing? They've seen him raising the dead. They've seen him healing people. They've seen him walking on water. They've seen him calming the storms. They've seen him raised from the dead. And now they're waiting to say, oh, the Holy Spirit's coming and you're going to have power. And they're waiting for this. And then Acts chapter 2 comes. And we heard the story just read. They're sitting there. And it says, they're all together in one place. They're waiting. And then there's this sound like the blowing of violent wind and it filled the whole house. And they see these tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the power. They begin talking. And they begin talking. But the odd thing about it or the power that happens is when they begin talking, that all these other people out here begin to hear them in their own language. 
It's as if I'm here and you are a delegation from the United Nations, from nations all over the earth, and you all speak different languages. And I get up and I start talking, and you don't have little translator headphones on, you don't have anything. I just begin talking and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, he's talking my language. Somebody over here is saying, well, wait, he's speaking in French. Somebody else over here is like, wait, no, he's speaking in German. No, he's speaking in Italian. No, he's speaking in my language. And so there's this power that happens. And as it's happening, we begin to realize that this power, one, isn't exactly what they expected. But also, as we notice this imagery of the Spirit, wind and fire aren't really things we can control. And so the Spirit is this absolute power and absolute uncontrollability. And so the people are wondering, they're like, wait, what's going on? Because they think, well, maybe they're drunk. I don't know how many people can speak different languages when they're drunk, but this is just their impression of them. They're wondering that somehow they're drunk. And then Peter says, no, 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 it's it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But then he goes on and he begins to explain it. And he begins to explain it by quoting from the prophet Joel. And Joel had given this prophecy to the people of God in this time after this national disaster and he's encouraging them about what God is about to do. And he says, in the last days, God says, he says, this is what is happening. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So we're going to take a step back and one, take an understanding of how the Jews understood time. So just briefly, for the Jewish people, they had an expectation that there's this age we live in and then there's the age to come. There's the age we live in which is filled with sin and death and then in the age to come, there'll be resurrection and and God will be on his throne and all things will be set right. And they always, we live in this age, but we have this expectation of the age to come. When, all, when, when God is going to make everything right. And those were all the hopes of the people of God. But now what Peter's saying, he's saying this prophecy of Joel is coming true that we are now living in those last days. We have moved from this age to the age to come. And it's happened with the resurrection of Jesus. But now the apostles are understanding it as there's kind of this in-between time. Because we're not completely over here yet. But we're not here yet either. In other words, this part has begun. And so theologians refer to it as like, it's already but not yet. That it started, that we have the first fruits of it. And we know that because Jesus has been raised from the dead. In other words, new creation, this, these last days have already begun. And the other mark of it is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes people say, well, I I think we're living in the last days. I'm like, yep, we are. In fact, we've been living in the last days since the day of Jesus' resurrection. And that's what Peter is saying in Acts chapter 2. He says, in the last days, God will pour out my Spirit. In other words, as you're seeing the Spirit poured out, that's a sign we're living in the last days. And so he's talking about all these things that the present has now come into the future. Or I'm sorry, the present, the future has now come into the present. Let's try that again. What he's saying is the future, this future expectation has now come into the present. 
It's broken in. And so what Gordon Fee talks about, he says, this changes everything for the apostles, how they live, how they think, how they understand things. Because if God's rule and reign, if this new age has already started, then it changes our life. And so this is what, how he says it. He says, ethical life, in other words, doing the right, and r- right thing, therefore does not consist of rules to live by. Because that's what we think of ethical life, right? You know, rules to live by. He says, but he says this, rather empowered by the Spirit, we now live the life of the future in the present age, the life that characterizes God himself. We live the life of the future now in the present age. In other words, because why? The future age is this time where God rules and reigns and all people are following him and living in shalom. And so the coming of the Spirit says, we're invited to live that way now. And so as we begin thinking about the Spirit, how does the Spirit play into this? I'm just going to run through a few verses and then we're going to reflect a little more on this passage. But Ephesians 1.14, speaking of the Spirit, says, He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So He's a deposit or I think a better way, some translations say a down payment. How many of you have ever put a down payment on something? How many of you are still making payments on things? Yeah. But when you make the down payment and you go and you maybe purchase a car, you purchase a house and you make a down payment, does the bank tell you you have to wait until all your mortgage is paid off before you move in the house? No, why? Because you've made the down payment. And so when it talks about in Ephesians that the spirit is the down payment, the down payment on this future age It says you can begin living in that future age now. The down payment has been made. It's the guarantee, and and that's the other kind of language that it's used is guarantee or sometimes like in Romans 8, 23, the first fruits. Not only so, but we who ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our body. So the first fruits, and so this draws the picture not from the marketplace, not from banking, but from agriculture. And so it's to go out to a tree, to a bush, and to see the first fruits. And the first fruits are a sign that what? There's more coming. It's the guarantee. It's saying, oh, look, this tree is producing. And so the Spirit is the first fruits is the sign that more is coming. Or in 2 Corinthians, now it is God who makes us both, and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. And he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit on our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And so there's this picture of a seal. And so in ancient times, when they would write a letter or do a decree, they would use wax or some sort of thing and they would place the seal on it as a mark, as a picture of ownership and as a picture of guarantee. And so in the same way, the Holy Spirit serves as the seal that this is going to happen. It's God's stamp that, yeah, this is happening. And so... How do these all connect? It's this picture again that we have begun to live and we are living in the last days and we're looking forward to this great expectation. And what's the expectation? That God's coming again and making all things right. And so how does this relate to us and how does this relate? And I want to come back to this passage in Acts 2 because what happens in the passage as we begin speaking? He says, God pours out in his spirit. And who does he pour his spirit out on? 
Read verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So does that mean there are some people who get left out? What is all? All means all. Well, in the Old Testament, we saw pictures of the spirit, but the spirit came on certain people at certain times. And here it's saying, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. And notice the kinds of people he lists. Your sons and daughters, young men, old men, even my servants or even my slaves, both men and women. In other words, the spirit doesn't discriminate. The spirit isn't limited to one group of people. Instead, what the spirit does is it begins, it comes to all people. And then what is the gift that the apostles, that these followers of Jesus are given? It's not to do miracles, it's what? To begin to speak. Let's to think about missionaries for just a minute. When a missionary, we have, you know, like Mike and Bobby Joe, when you went over to Congo, I'm putting you guys on the spot. When you went to Congo, did you make them all learn English? So instead, what did you do? You learned their language, right? Because what is learning another person's language does what? It connects you. It helps you to be able to speak and to understand them. And in the same way, the Spirit comes and comes on them and it begins to break this barrier. If I were to go as a missionary somewhere and say, well, you need to learn my language. I'm going to teach you my language. Does that build walls or tear walls down? It builds walls, doesn't it? Because it begins to say what? That my language is better. I mean, in some sense, if I go somewhere and say, well, you need to learn my language. You need to learn my culture. You need to do things my way. It begins to build walls and it begins to put up barriers. But instead, if I go somewhere and I say, well, teach me your language. Teach me your customs. Teach me your way of doing things. It begins to bring down these barriers. And that's the story of the book of Acts. We call it the book of Acts, the Acts of what? Sometimes referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because all of the book of Acts, this whole story is about walls coming down and barriers being crossed. Because Jesus earlier had said, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And he was speaking to Jewish people for whom there was a big wall between them and the Gentiles, the rest of the world. And a big part of the story of the book of Acts is that wall comes down. That these differences are crossed over. And so when we see the Spirit come, we see this change and the way that things are changed so that the barriers come down. Now, does that mean we have to all be the same? No. In 1 Corinthians 12, and here Paul's talking about gifts of the Spirit. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all them and in everything, it is the same God at work. In other words, these, this unity doesn't mean a lack of diversity. It doesn't wipe away all of our differences. Or a better picture of it, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. So this is book of Revelation, end of time. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. In other words, those differences don't go away. 
The coming of the Holy Spirit doesn't take away our differences, but instead it allows us to celebrate the differences. What it takes away is the way we tend to build up barriers when we have differences. And I've been going through some small group sessions over the last couple of years learning about the ways in which I've lived with unseen barriers in my life. And what do I mean by that? As I grew up, I had pictures in my mind of certain people, maybe based on the way they talk, based on the color of their skin. And so when we have ideas about someone ahead of time, that tends to create barriers in the way that we live. We tend to think of someone as like, oh, well, clearly they dress like that, so they must be fill in the blank. And we know this, and we've seen sociological studies on it in all kinds of different ways of the ways in which people create artificial barriers and the ways in which we maybe elevate one culture over another. You say, well, by culture, just the way we act, the way we think. And so, for example, I mean, what are some cultural things that we do? Cultural things that we do is if I go much past 1130 on a Sunday morning, Yeah, I violated the cultural laws, haven't I? Is that true in every culture? No. In a lot of cultures, they just, they go till they're ready to go, done, and then sometimes they just take a break, get some food, and they come on back and keep going. Now, is one right and one wrong? Yes. <laughs> That's how we think, right? We, we, we have this idea about the way culture, or even the way I dress, you know. It's like, well, I think, well, this is, you know, this is how a pastor should dress. Well, for some of us, our culture says, no, a pastor should be wearing a suit. Some cultures, the pastor should be wearing a robe. Some would say something else. And so we have these cultural barriers, these ideas that are neither right or wrong. And what the Spirit is saying is we can't allow those kind of barriers or even the deeper barriers that we have as we think about other cultures to stand over one another. And so the Spirit is a call for us to live into the future, to recognize and celebrate the diversity of the kingdom. To celebrate and to begin to say, we can learn from people all over the world. We can learn from people from different backgrounds, from different educational, from different socioeconomic standards, of different races, of different ethnicities, all these different things. It's calling us and saying, the Spirit brings us all and makes us one by uniting us to Jesus. But the Spirit doesn't come and make us all one in that we all have to live, act, behave in all the same cultural ways. And so what we have to be wary of, is careful of, is celebrating and elevating one culture over another. And so as I pointed out with Mike and Bobby Joe, when they went as missionaries, they went and they learned Lingala. They learned to speak to the Congolese people. That was not always true in the missions and missionary world. Oftentimes, as Europeans sent missionaries out, they imposed a certain way of doing things. There's stories of missionaries going to Hawaii and trying to teach the Hawaiians to dress like Europeans. Well, why would they have to dress like that? Because they believed that there was this cultural way, this certain way of doing things. And what the Spirit is saying is, 
No. We come and the Spirit comes not to build up barriers, but to break down barriers. The Spirit calls to come and call us to live into this future, this future where people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people are gathered around their throne, where our differences are celebrated, not put down. So as we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, it may be a reminder for us to remember this day of Pentecost, to remember the way in which the Spirit came and broke down barriers, that the work of the Spirit was to join different kinds of people together, to join people who thought and saw things in different ways, who spoke different languages, who dressed differently, who had different cultural norms, who had all these different things and said, I'm going to make you one. But at the same time, keep your diversity. And so it's a call to us to look around and to ask ourselves to say, if that's what the future looks like, if the future kingdom of God is one in which people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people are gathered around the throne, where all these different languages, all these different groups are celebrated, how are we living now as the people of God into that future? How are we living into that and learning and celebrating those things? The Spirit is a down payment. The Spirit is the first fruit. The Spirit is the evidence that this future has been brought forward and we're called to live into that. And the Spirit gives us the power to do that. Because as we kind of nervously chuckle about it, it's not easy to change our preferences. And the thing is, I'm not telling you you have to change your preferences. The Spirit isn't saying, well, you need to be like them. That's the exact opposite message. The Spirit isn't saying you need to be like them or they need to be like you. The Spirit's saying, we're all one and we can celebrate that you sing different kinds of songs. What the Spirit is saying is, all you people who love to sing just hymns can get along fine with everybody who just loves to sing praise songs. I know it's hard. <laughs> but we can love... That those of you who believe we should read a certain translation of the Bible, that those of us who believe certain things about certain things, that we can all begin to get along. And it goes beyond that, that when we look and we see churches, our African-American brothers and sisters, or our Asian-American brothers and sisters, or Latino-American, and we see all the different ways they celebrate, and even their different ways that they understand theology, that they come and they read Scripture in a different way, to not say, well, no, that's the way to read it. And so here, we'll go back to this idea where I said we all raised with a culture. When I went to seminary, we had courses in various things, and one of them was theology. And the interesting thing was we had theology, and then we had black theology. We had Latino theology. We had feminist theology. Well, what was the one called just theology? It was what we saw as the normative way of doing things. And truth be told, most of the normative way of doing things was we were reading a bunch of white European men. Doesn't mean they were wrong and these other people were right or they were wrong and these were right. But it was interesting how it just in our language of doing things that that was normal. Well, I just study theology. You guys study black theology. Wait, 
why are we classifying them in different ways? But instead, what if it's just all theology? And we begin to say, well, wait a minute, maybe I can learn from James Cone. Maybe I can learn from Willie James Jennings. Maybe I can learn from Simon Chang. Maybe I can learn from Louis, Lucy Pepe. Maybe I can learn from all these different people. And we're all doing theology. Are we all coming from a different place? Yes. But the wonder of the Spirit and what the Spirit does at Pentecost is say, those differences are set aside that I pour out my Spirit on who? All people. The Spirit is poured out on all people and we begin to learn and the Spirit is inviting us now to live into the future. So what I would invite you to do this week is to picture what do you think the future kingdom of God looks like? Read your Bible, think about it and say, what does the future kingdom, when God comes back and sets all things right, what does that look like? And the Spirit says, start living that now. Start living that now. And not only does the Spirit say, start living that now, the Spirit says, and here's the power to do it. Because that's the amazing thing about it. It's always grace. It's always grace. The Spirit says, not only live into the future, but here now, I'm here with you. I'm present with you. God in person, living inside of you, giving you the power to live into the future. So may we be that people, living by the power of the Spirit, living into the future kingdom of God. Amen.